We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. But, Jack, how are we doing? Buzzing. Buzzing. Ready for another episode. Obviously, the NBA is still suspended. We're still giving you Nets content. Today, we're going to look at last, you know, the three-fourths of the season, 60-plus games, kind of talk about what happened, our expectations, and things along those lines. Before we get into it, though, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, let's start with a quick summary of last season. Kind of lay it out for me in your mind, portion by portion. Yeah, so Nick, we chatted a little bit before we jumped on. I sort of went to Basketball Reference and just took a look at our month-by-month breakdown in terms of win-losses. And, you know, to start the season, you know, the four games in October, Nets went one and three, a little bit shaky. Get things back on track in November with a nine and six record. December is okay enough, six and seven. But things really fall off the cliff with a five and ten record in January. Things start to pick up in Feb with a five and seven record. And then before the season did end and did end and uh, become on a hiatus, the Nets were were pumping. They were rolling with that with a four and one record. And obviously, you look at the injuries to Kyrie Irving throughout. You look at the coach Kenny firing all the different inconsistencies in the offensive and defensive end. Carol Savert's injury. I mean, the one consistent throughout, you know, the Nets MVP, as we call it with Alec on the last episode, was Spencer Dimity. He sort of led the charge for a lot of parts of the season, really led the way. Joe Harris was consistent in his health as well. Jared Allen was up and down. 
DeAndre started to start. There was rumblings about who should start. There was ESPN articles here and there throughout the season. But I think the win-loss record through from each month, sort of you look back on it, it's like, yeah, I can't remember those points. I think there are some reasons for that. And I think a lot of it, part of it was coaching, part of it was lack of player engagement, and part of it was a bit of a tough record too. Yeah, and a lot of it was injury. Like, it's just a lot of injuries and kind of give some storylines to those different months. You know, October, early November, you know, they had some good wins, some bad losses. Then we had the Karras injury. We had the Kyrie injury. Late November, December, we kind of saw some of the hustle nets led by Spencer Dinwiddie. By the end of the month, they start to really cool down. They're missing that talent of Kyrie and Karras. January, like you mentioned, was just a struggle. Kyrie was back, but they had some really tough games on the schedule. Ended up getting uh, hurt early in February, but Kara started to cook. And then in March, it felt like the Nets were starting to find a rhythm. At that point, there was no Kyrie. You know, Karras is kind of coming to his own. Spencer's getting back to the player we saw. And obviously, Kenny Atkinson was fired in March, too. So really just a lot of craziness in a short span for the Nets. More drama probably in this, you know, three-fourths of the season than we saw the last two or three years combined. Yeah, drama, drama. You don't want no drama. As Fergie, was it Fergie that said in that song? Drama, I don't know, yeah, Fergie, Fergie, come on, Fergalicious. You, you can't not love Fergalicious. London Bridge, absolute jam. Underrated solo female pop star, that's for sure. But yeah, if you're looking at sort of like the NBA season for the Brooklyn Nets as a worm, it would be, or a you know, a sort of line graph, it would be up and down, up and down, up and down. I'm just doing like right now. We're not doing a video platform, but I'm waving my arm up and down like a little bit of a wave. It's a bit of crazy season, but uh, it wouldn't be these Nets if it wasn't for crazy. Yeah, and Jack, before we get into expectations. What did you think about the Nets as the season ended? You mentioned 4-1, and one, had some, that nice win over the Lakers. Do you think they were starting to get some rhythm and maybe build some momentum heading to the postseason? Yeah, I mean, the NBA season is an absolute slog. We know that, you know, 82 games for me is too long. You know, I've said on plenty of other pods, I think it should be a 58-game season. You know, it's, it provides the most semblance of stability and, and parity. But the, these nets were starting to pick it up a little bit. When other teams sort of start to, you know, rest players and and maybe even tank a little bit, you know, the nets are wanting to build themselves and solidify themselves in that sort of seventh seed sort of range of above the Orlando Magic and above teams like the Wizards and, and the Hawks and the, and, and the Bulls, those teams sort of vying for that eighth seed as well. So I thought that there were some nice signs. Jacques Vaughn's, you know, two games, you know, there were some promising things, you know, some different adjustments that we probably might not have seen. We saw DeAndre starting. You know, Jared Allen backing up. And I, and I think, you know, Karis, the, the main thing was Karis was playing some ridiculously good basketball on both sides of the floor. That was the reason why the Nets were, you know, playing playing so hot. And uh, I think he lifted the team around him. You know, we saw Toy and Prince go to the bench as well, which I thought was a good decision. Wilson Chandler providing a semblance of stability. So all those sort of little things led to just a more cohesive Nets unit. Yeah, I felt like the fact Karras is kind of getting to his own and then Spencer Dinwiddie was getting back to the guy we saw. And you mentioned some of the changes by Vaughn. And then the fact they were starting to switch more and play a little bit more to probably the roster they have than just, you know, a style they had envisioned in the offseason. So I, I really like what the Nets were doing. It sucks that the season ended and we'll really never know. But maybe it'll be back soon enough. But it could be a completely different team at that point. But talking about last year and what we saw, did the team meet your expectations? Uh, not for me, Nick, because I had the, I mean, I did a couple articles for OTGBasketball.com, Nets Republic, I, and we did our season previews. I looked through some of the different articles and the different Google Docs that I had in preparation. I had them at that 46 win mark. I definitely don't think that they're going to be getting there by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think that they'll be lucky to get to, get to 500. 
you know, the projections don't have them getting to, to that high at all either. So I think that they are under expectations, but given injuries and, and everything else sort of around that sort of way, you know, we are currently projected for 36 and 46 by 538. I think the Nets might, you know, usurp that just a little bit, uh, but I think the Nets have underperformed overall. Yeah, and just to give the, you know, the listeners some uh, some an idea, the Nets were 30 and 34 when the season was suspended. So I would agree, Jack. I think they did not meet expectations. A lot of it was due to injury, but even when we saw the team healthy, we never really saw them fully in sync and hit that full caliber. You know, we saw some really good offensive games. Then we'd see some good defensive games. We would really hardly ever see the combined effort of good basketball on both sides of the floor for 48 minutes. There was just no consistency for the roster, and that's expected with so many new pieces, but still, I think given their talent, they should have performed at a higher level for certain portions of the season. I think losing a lot of games, you know, December and January is understandable due to injuries, but at other portions, there was no reason for them to lose some of the games they lost. Yeah, I think the Nets have as much talent as in Indiana Pacers. You know, maybe that's maybe a bit subjective. And I think, you know, in terms of role players and, and superstars and, and, you know, obviously health plays a big issue. I think we should have been, you know, in that sort of range of, of five or six sort of certainly fighting a little bit more. But I think the the lack of consistency across the board with, for, me, for many reasons that we've just outlined uh, the, the, one of the key reasons why we didn't really meet those expectations. And and I think it makes sense now looking back on it. If you hadn't said that you know, Kyrie Irving would play 20 games and you know, our coach would get fired, Karis Avert would miss massive chunks of the season, Jared Allen wouldn't take a real jump, Torian Prince wouldn't meet expectations. I don't know. I, I certainly wouldn't think that we would have got that 46-win mark. Yeah, I agree. I think you wouldn't expect that. I think if the Nets were even 34-30 and 30 at this point instead of 30-34, and 34, you'd be like, you know what? They probably didn't hit expectations, but of a lot, it was due to the injury. There's just some games that I think really stuck out. Some of the losses, obviously, the two losses that essentially got Kenny fired were the blowout loss to Memphis and the blowout loss to Atlanta, both unacceptable. You could lose those games, but not in that fashion. And then some of the leads they had earlier in the season that really stuck out when they did have Kyrie, when they blew a game to Memphis and Jay Crowder hit that crazy shot. And then also there's a game against Detroit, which it felt like they definitely should have won. There's just so many games across the season where the Nets had no reason to lose this game considering the talent they had, even with injuries against a team they were, you know, they were going against. I remember that Memphis Grizzlies, that first one, the Jay Crowder game winning, because I was standing, I was on that, my way to America. I was standing in line at Melbourne airport, watching the game on my iPhone 10 X, X plus, whatever it is. And I'm like, Ugh. and everyone's just sort of like looking at me. He's like, what's this dude doing? Just like wriggling around, jumping up and down, yelling out loud with his phone in his hand. And uh, I think they could, could sort of realize that um, I was watching a basketball game, but you know, I was uh, not the best way, not the best momentum to head on to a 20 hour flight or so. But uh, luckily enough, I had some snacks and I uh, watched some movies and it took my mind off the next loss. <laughs> Movies are good, especially it completely takes your minds off sports. But it, yep. that game, you had Spencer Dewey, I believe, missed a big free throw. And I think the Nets just missed a lot of big free throws throughout the season season in clutch situations. And I think that really hurt them in terms of their win-loss record. But moving on from there, Jack, looking at the team as a whole, what were some strengths of the team we saw over the 60-plus games? Yeah, I got five for you, Nick. So the Nets were fifth in three-point attempts, seventh in free throw attempts, fifth in total offensive rebounds, second in defensive and second in total rebounds, and eighth in defensive rating. That's the identity for the Brooklyn Nets team right there for you. 
Yeah, I think a lot of that says, you know, solid defense. They have some nice center depth with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. I also would say his strength was the guard play when healthy. You know, we saw yep. all these guards play at, you know, either an all-star level or a fringe all-star level. We know the Nets can really excel in the pick-and-roll situations, having both those rim-running bigs, especially when they have their proper floor spacing out there. And like you alluded to, Jack, the style that they play offensively was great. It's just the efficiency at which they shot was not up to standards. A lot of that was due to injuries not having two of your best offensive players in Kyrie and obviously Kevin Durant. Yeah, exactly. And, and that'll be some of my weaknesses that I'll outline too. All right, hit me, Jack. So despite the fact that the Nets love to take their free throws, love to take their threes, they're 24th in effective field goal percentage and field yep. goal percentage overall. It's uh, not a good stat at all. 27th in steals, don't know how to force those turnovers. 22nd in offensive rating and 25th in turnover percentage. So uh, not some good numbers there. Yeah, 100%. I think the turnovers are one of the most aggravating things, considering this isn't a super young team. The Nets of two years ago, hey, they're turning over the ball at a high rate. Understandable. A ton of young guards, but there's so many veterans on this team. You think that's something that would be cleaned up. And then you mentioned the shooting efficiency, just missing a lot of open shots. And at the end of the day, that's what it came down to. I don't even think it's as much, you know, shot decision or, you know, shot IQ. It's just guys were missing open shots. Some of that's due with talent. I'd say bench depth hasn't been great compared to the team we saw last year. Just guys haven't been able to step up and provide that consistent effort and then you mentioned the turnovers and I think some of that is the lack of elite defenders a lack of guys who can really disrupt the other team or make them feel uncomfortable yeah I think you need when we were building our teams for the OGD outlet in our team building exercise all of us had at least one you know really elite defensive player and you know that's what makes a championship team at the end of the day you need to have elite players in elite areas that really really matter and another thing about this team that aggravated me a lot, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, was holding on to a lead or like closing out a game, just putting in that killer instinct and taking that dub instead of, you know, almost coasting and letting the other team get back into the game. And we saw that happen a lot this year. Yeah, that's what good teams do. And, you know, the Nets are an average team. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the key word, the Nets, one of the weaknesses, they were inconsistent. And good teams, the great teams, are more consistent, especially the really, really good ones are super consistent. The Nets are trying to find that. And Katie even mentioned it, you know, in that locker room discussion with Kenny Atkinson and the whole team, that they need to have better habits. They need to have championship habits. And there was too many times this year they just didn't have them. Yeah, he's going to be showing us those championship habits on 2K. I'm kind of excited, and fun note, I downloaded 2K, I have Xbox Game Pass, and I added it on there, and I was like, hey, let me throw on 2K, play with KD, God, the Nets are going to really be super fun when Kevin Durant's back on the court. I think there's so many issues and weaknesses we just talked about, but KD helps solve so many of those problems. All right, we can't necessarily rely on him completely, but, you know, KD, Kyrie, healthy. You know, next season, you know, who knows what could happen with some mini trades. And, you know, we'll be go, we'll be diving deep into a lot of trade and then head coaching stuff in some upcoming episodes, guys. But, yeah, for right now, oh, KD, black and white, no, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. It's just ridiculous. And I think it, another thing I didn't even mention with the weakness is the lack of a true four. And is, maybe some people don't call KD a true four, but in this current NBA, he's a four and he's an elite one at that. Yeah, I mean, the dude's taller than like half the fives in the league. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Jack, we talked strength, we talked weaknesses. What areas do you want to see them improve? Like, obviously, you yeah. know, maybe not every weakness is going to be improved, but we could at least tackle some. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I had four key things, Nick. Forcing turnovers, the offensive side of the ball, so just the efficiency and being able to execute the game plan. Crunch time play, you know, a lot of games were sort of given away. You mentioned holding on to a lead. You know, there were games against teams like the Miami Heat where the Nets weren't able to hold on, didn't have the records to play, were just playing dumb basketball, making bad decisions in a lot of occasions. And then just general consistency. I mean, it's a... a very general term, but, you know, the Nets aren't a consistent team. They're an inconsistent team. It's sort of like the inconsistent Brooklyn Nets. That's essentially what we've been for the past two seasons. You're pretty much nailed the Jack. I think that's the most important thing, those championship habits, being consistent, finishing off teams. You know, I want to see them be more aggressive defensively. We kind of talked about in the last, so we only saw Jock Vaughn for two games, but he did do a couple of things that made you think, hey, maybe they'll get a little bit more creative defensively. And then also... I think what was a uh, transition transition, yeah. I think is an area where they can get more active in with having a guy like Kyrie Irving, who's a great finisher in transition. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie has some jets. Karras has shown the ability to get in there. Obviously Kevin Durant's going to be back. So forcing turnovers will probably lead to more transition. So it's kind of a, a two-step process. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on that. And I was, that's why, you know, again, I'm going to, I've made this note before about the fact that, you know, Mike D'Antoni is a, a coach that I would like to have on this book and that team. I think he would utilize and, and implement a game plan, which I think would really utilize the strengths of, of a lot of the guys in our roster. And I think transition play would be one of them. Yeah, I mean, you think of that Suns team from back in the day. They were shooting, I think, like five seconds or less. They were looking for shots. And with the offensive talent the Nets could have next year, it might not be the worst choice. But moving on from there, Jack, with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with the online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit the website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering expert. What positions specifically need to be upgraded? Obviously, we mentioned KD will be back, Kyrie will be back. What other spots on the team do you think they could make a jump in? Uh, wing depth and quality of wing depth. You know, Toyin Prince, Rodion Skouritz, Wilson Chandler. These guys are our wings. You know, we said before the season, that's an area where the Nets were really going to struggle without Kevin Durant. Shooting outside of Joe Harris. We don't really have many capable shooters. You know, Kyrie Irving, when he's out there, is obviously a great shooter. But, you know, don't, you don't really have any sharp shooters. Toyin Prince, who has been great across his career, has been have in, ridiculously inconsistent not just inconsistent ridiculously inconsistent and then scorers you know just guys who can flat out create their own shot you know we've got guys who can uh, role players and can do little bits here and there but guys that can create their own shot you know there's Karras, there's spencer and that's probably about it in terms of guys that are healthy yeah, I agree. I think a lot of it will change with health because you'll have the creators in Kyrie, Katie, Karis, and Spencer, and that will definitely give you a nice boost. But I agree with the wing quality, especially the wing defense. You know, you want to have a guy that can come off the bench and be a stopper. You know, you want somebody who can relieve the duty of a Karis or a KD trying to lock down a Kawhi, a Paul George, or somebody in a playoff series, or even a Giannis. So I think getting one of those elite, like, tweener defenders, maybe not even elite, just somebody who can kind of hold their own to just ease the load for some of the starters in, you know, a seven-game series or any type of playoff matchup. 
Rondé Hollis-Jefferson might have been that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, he, he possibly could. I think Rondé's career yeah. is really interesting. Def- kind of like how much further does he develop? Because I don't think he's there yet, but he definitely has the tools to be that type of guy. Yeah, and I think he's proven it at points. You know, when we recapped some games last year in the buzz, you know, games against Portland and such, where we had ridiculous defensive games. I think if he was on this team, he would probably be our best defender. And I'm I'm not advocating for Rondé Hollis-Jefferson would solve all of our problems, but, you know, there are worse options out there. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded him on this team. I don't think it would have been terrible. I think it was more of like... Kenny maybe not having a feel or a role for him on this team because Kenny kept wanting to play him essentially at small ball five, especially later in last season and kind of got away from playing him at power forward or at the three. So maybe with a different coach moving forward, he could have really fit on the squad. And I mean, he's been great in Toronto. You know, Nick Nurse has really utilized him. He's sort of given him a bit of tough love early in the season and yep. he's been really responding. And, you know, I think that he can you know not necessarily for you know 20 minutes or so but for many spurts and possessions he can guard those guys he is incredibly active he's a great rebounder and he can do a, a few different things on the floor yeah he would provide you some really nice versatility if you had him out there with kevin durant and they were kind of switching off at the center position because of ronde's limited game if you surrounded him with four other shooters he's great because he's not a bad passer either so we know that he can finish a little bit inside too yeah i mean you, know, you need to fill up the the roster with some of those sort of guys. I think that, you know, I wouldn't say that he, the bridges have been burnt in Brooklyn. You know, Rondé's still quite close to a lot of the guys over there. Who knows what could happen in the future? 100%. And moving on from there, Jack, we kind of hinted at it earlier. There was a lot of drama this season. What are, are some of the craziest moments you remember? Um, the Kenny firing sticks out, Nick. You know, that's probably the, the craziest, wildest one for me. Um, Joe Harris flexing. Never thought... Um, <laughs> Mr. Reserved Joey Buckets would uh, get those guns out. I mean, in terms of performances, those Kyrie games were just absolutely insane. Carlos absolutely insane. The David Nwaba in- injury really sort of sticks out as, as being a really crazy bad moment of the season. Um, and I mean, the up and down moments throughout the year when they're talking about you know, locker room moments and, and that sort of thing about you know, Kevin Durant having his word, Kyrie Irving. Uh, speaking about the guys and listing off the names, rattling off the names, and not mentioning Joe Harris and not mentioning Jared Allen and not mentioning 1A, 1B and whoever these guys are, that sort of sticks out as, as a moment. I guess if you're talking about crazy moments, you think about media moments in that sort of sense. So those are the ones that sort of spring to mind. Yeah, Kenny obviously I think is the biggest one because it was such a surprise giving the time of it. Um, I actually think the China situation was pretty crazy because the Nets were one of those yeah. teams in China when all this happened. And there was just no clarity of the whole situation. I, I don't think I was ever really concerned about the Nets players, but it could have had some type of impact. You mentioned all the media drama from Kyrie Irving having, you know, the preseason article written about him to the one later in the season and him having a hand in firing Kenny, just everything tied with him. And then in a more of a positive light, anything connected to Katie was a crazy moment. Just the fact that he's on the Nets and he's wearing, you know, Nets gear is just awesome. And other than that, I think for crazy moments, that does it for me. But what was your favorite game so far this year? Uh, my favorite game you know what i'm gonna go obviously i think i mentioned this on the awards pod with alec as well the early season win over houston was a nice one because it was a a bit of an upset win also i was there so any any of the wins that i was there for so i'm going to mention mention at least a couple of those ones the early season win over the new orleans pelicans was really nice that was a really close game really entertaining game and then Kyrie sort of got us through 
And then for me, one that sticks out, obviously, other than the you know the Karras comeback win, and uh, is the dominating win over the Philadelphia 76ers. I really love the fact that the Nets were able to get a blowout against uh, an, a division rival and you know one of the sort of favorites for a long time throughout the season. That for me uh, really stuck out, and you know the Toronto game as well. The Toronto win was a nice one, uh, building into the All Star break. So those ones sort of stick out for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you had a lot of great choices. I think that Houston wins a little underrated because that was like the first time we saw the Nets beat a good team, like early in the season. So it kind of gave you a little bit more confidence. And like James Harden and Russell Westbrook obviously have the talent. You mentioned the Boston comeback with Karis LeVert going off. I think uh, the Toronto game, like Alec mentioned on the last show you just brought up, I think the Lakers win was actually a really one of my favorite games. Just beating, you know, LeBron and the Lakers after they were so hot and they just beat, you know, the Bucks and the Clippers looking like the best team in the league. And then also they had a crazy comeback against the Hawks where they were down like 20 and all of a sudden they just turned it up and they're like, hey, we're just a better team. There's like as bad and inconsistent as the season was, there was a lot of good, enjoyable games. Yeah, I'm not going to lie about that. I think that the luxury that we have with the buzz is that we go through most if not all games uh, on the podcast so we can sort of go well i do remember that when it was really good and then obviously those feelings those nice feelings are sort of taken away by the next game where they lose to you know the phoenix suns or washington wizards or whatever it might be um so you take it game by game and you know, I think that our emotional health has uh, taken a hit at some points throughout the season. Yes. I mean, if you're not a, if you're not a Milwaukee Bucks fan or a Lakers fan or something, I'm sure you you have those you know uh, mental health moments, not to the ex- extreme degree, but it's just you know those fun sports fan moments when you you follow a team as as fun, let's say in quotation marks, as the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely nights where you get so pissed off and you think about it and you wake up and you're still thinking about, like, how did they lose that game? And then just throwing out some of my favorite performances, I think it's crazy that Kyrie had two 50-point games and he only played 20 games this season. The one of them was his first game back, and then the other one was pretty much a tribute to one of his mentors in Kobe Bryant. And it was one of the most efficient 50-point games that you'll ever see in your lifetime. And I just, like, keep bringing that up because I think it's so forgotten because Kyrie only played 20 games that no one will really remember that 54 points against the Bulls. 10% of his games, he had 50 points in. 10% of his games, 2 of 20, he had 50 points. He had 100 points in two of those games. It's it, it, it's, it's insane. It's in, And I think that that might have to be, you know, when we do some Nets rewatchables, we might have to definitely do one, if not both of those games, just to relive. Because Kyrie, I, I remember the, the second one where he just didn't miss. He, he just was not missing. and it's just He didn't miss in the first COVID. half. No, he didn't. I think it was like 9 of 9 from the field. He had like 27 points or something like that. And it's just... There are very, very few players in this league that can entertain and put on a show like Kyrie Irving can. In fact, Nick, off the top of your head, the unprompted question, in <laughs> terms of entertainment value, where does Kyrie rank in that? I mean, for me, it's probably Steph and LeBron 1A, 1B, but I think Kyrie's certainly in the top five somewhere. Yeah, Kyrie in his bag, like I was lucky enough to be at opening night and see those 50 points, and it was just remarkable because of the different ways he can score. He can score on the threes, the pull-up threes, the catch-and-shoots. He can work that mid-range. He can shoot the fadeaways, has that little bit of post-game, uses that footwork. He can finish at pretty much any angle at the rim, including underneath the rim with some backspin on the passes. So I think Kyrie on his game is, you know, top five most enjoyable, you know, player to watch in the league. And you mentioned LeBron. When LeBron's on doing his thing, like we saw in the rewatchable last night for OTG, he's a different force. And then obviously 
when Steph is unconscious and he's just shooting from everywhere, I'm not sure if there's anything more exciting because teams are just like desperately trying to stop him. They can't, but Kyrie's not much different. And I was lucky enough to watch game seven of the 2016 NBA finals. And Clay was on his hip for about 50% of his shots and he was still knocking them down. So Kyrie's offensive game is just incredible. And it was, it's been a topic on Twitter. And I think Kyrie is probably one of the most skilled players in the entire NBA, considering not that he's a bad athlete, but it's not like he's the most elite athlete. A lot of his game is just based off of his amazing skill. Yeah, on the last episode of JBT, we talked about, I think Richard Jefferson brought out the fact that he had the best handle of all time. And, you know, I guess the other guy that really comes to mind is Allen Iverson. You know, yep. get him chucking CP3 in there as well. But, you know, most of, you know, Heiser and, and Magus both were pretty much in that bandwagon where it was probably Kyrie. And you mentioned the sort of level of scoring. You know, you, you talk about LeBron and Steph. This isn't to say Kyrie Irving is a better player, but Kyrie Irving is a three-level scorer. LeBron yep. isn't, well, at least at an elite level. Kyrie, like you mentioned, Nick, uh, and from any spot on the floor is elite. Elite three-point shooter, elite mid-range fadeaway sort of guy, elite around the rim. You know, Steph's great around the rim, and he's gotten really, really good there, and he's obviously the best of all time from the perimeter. But, you know, his mid-range game isn't necessarily there because he doesn't have to be. But, you know, he's gotten a little bit better there. I think he's 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 good or above average in that range, whereas Kyrie is elite in all three levels. You know, LeBron's three-point shot has improved markedly across his career. He's by far the best at driving out of all those guys, maybe one of the best drivers in the history of the game. And, you know, his mid-range fadeaway game is very pretty these days too. But in terms of, you know, consistency and scoring, I think Kyrie Irving might be the best pure scorer. You know, you might have been chucking a Dame Lillard in there. And we've had plenty of discussions about Damian Lillard and Kyrie Irving on, on plenty of podcasts for OTT Basketball. But, yeah, Kyrie Irving's scoring ability, it's, it's near unheralded. It really is. I mean, the biggest concern with Kyrie really is just the health. And then, obviously, I think there there is obviously some concern about chemistry and fitting with a team and doing all that. But at the end of the day, he did win a championship. So... You can only take that for so much. Yeah, and off Kyrie Irving, my favorite performance of the season, if I didn't pick Joe Harris, I think uh, the listeners would probably be a bit upset with me, uh, was that win over Chicago, where he played 35 minutes, had 22 points, uh, eight assists, had a couple of steals, some good boards, four rebounds as well, uh, zero turnovers despite having the eight assists. That, for me, was just Joey Buckets turning into Joey, you know, floor general, Joey you know, Chris Paul level of, of offense in terms of how he was impacting the game. That was, for me, maybe the best game of Joe Harris's career. Yeah, I remember that game. That's either late November, early December, right? And I remember yep. Spencer, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen all had good games that game or had some type of impact or some really nice chemistry between them. And it gave everyone hope like, hey, they can win some games without Kyrie and Karras because these three had the chemistry. Obviously, it didn't work out ideally, but that was a really big Joe game. And obviously, Spencer deserves some love. You know, he had a nice performance against San Antonio in San Antonio. And then also with that comeback against Miami, he played a big role in that. And he's hit a lot of clutch shots this year, including one against the Lakers. Yeah, that clutch shot against the Lakers was really nice, even though, you know, there were some other questionable decisions he did make. But when the big decisions and the big moments did matter, Spencer has been stepping up and he's been stepping up on Twitter as well. And we'll get to that in some in some news pods. Don't want you to worry about that. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to reflect upon this season, Nick, and look at it go, well, look, there, it wasn't all doom and gloom, despite the fact that, I mean, it's, 
it's like in any walk of life. You always remember the down moments more than the good moments because it's just uh, it's just the way that the human brain works. And I mean, there've been plenty of down moments for this Brooklyn Nets team, but to provide a semblance of you know equal equality to it, I guess we look at the good moments and go, man, the season wasn't all bad. You know, Joe was good, and you know, DeAndre Jordan with some of his alley oops and stank faces, and and some of his celebrations were all fun as well. You know, it wasn't all doom and gloom for this Brooklyn Nets team, despite the fact that you know there were some poor moments, but you know there was also a bit of fun along the way it was a weird season before it even started because there was like yeah. the whole looming fact that katie probably wasn't going to play this season and the nets weren't going to be a championship level team yet so it was just always like an underlying thing and it was like who's safe on this roster they have so many ball handlers so it was just weird from that aspect then the whole Kyrie getting injured and now with the season suspension it's just like it's just weird from so many different angles but uh, I also got to show some love to my boy Karis Levert, not just for the 51, but the triple-double against San Antonio, which will be probably forgotten if the season is canceled. Yeah, true. That was – yeah, Karis, is, Karis has proven himself. And, and I think that – I mean, we, we can't necessarily give – we've done this before in terms of NBA Christmas presents and Brooklyn Nets Christmas presents. You, mean, you know, for the Magic one, for probably – the Nets' three best or three of the four best Brooklyn Nets players, the one is health. And um, I've been, I'm not a doctor, and you know the, the world has plenty of great ones, and we can't get enough of them in, in today's day and age. But you know, health would be great for him. Health would be great for and you know I was listening to the the Windhorse pod where he was talking to you know other NBA sort of media heads, and they were sort of talking about how polarizing Karis Avert is there. I mean, we talked about him in relation to sort of like a Jimmy Butler trade, and it was just like, well, why are we including Carol Severt? And Bill Simmons is like, oh, it's Carol Severt, it's Carol Severt. But then there's other people who are like, well, Carol Severt's going to be this stud, you know, he's going to be a top, you know, 30 player in the league. And I mean, that's the that's the range with Karis, I think. You know, he's, his ceiling is, is pretty tremendous, but his basement with, with his health issues and, you know, sometimes his inconsistencies and his confidence can be, uh, can be pretty poor and pretty low as well. Yeah, I think the scariest thing for Karras is just the injury because it would prevent him from getting to his ceiling because he just doesn't get enough consistent play on the court. And what we saw the last two years, he comes back from the injury and he's looking great. And then like it's the next year he gets hurt and then it takes him that time to get back into what we saw, which is normal because when you come back from injury, you're not going to feel the same way. But it would be great if he could play a full season and we could see what he would look like over the course of a full season because that's what gives you a big enough sample size to say, hey, I think this guy can be an X type of player or, you know, he can't be this type of player. I think right now it's really confusing is, hey, Karis LeVert going to be an all-star type player that has two-way ability or is he just going to end up being one of these like supercharged bench players that comes off and has a possibility to drop like 20 or 30 and being just a six-man type, which isn't the worst, but I think obviously we want him to be that all-star level player. Yeah, I don't think that there are more polarizing, harder players to analyze in this league because, you know, most guys are, they are this, they are that. They fit into, you know, whatever box you want to put them in. But how you sort of talked about it there, Nick, is just that the, the amount of boxes for Karis Levert and, and the trajectory of, of his, you know, hopefully long career, you know, he is 25, 26 now. So it's probably, you know, another hopefully eight years or so in this league, you know, how is that eight years going to pan out? Is it going to go down the route of being, you know, a bona fide number three guy? Does he go to a different team and turn into, you know, a number two? Does he get to lead his own team? There's just so many different realms where you can imagine we could do a, a what if projection 
uh, podcast about Carol Savert in terms of what would he be like if he were traded to the Washington Wizards for Bradley Beal and blah, 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 blah. What would he be as the number three guy on a Brooklyn Nets team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Um, I think that could be a fun project. Well, actually, say, let's actually. do it right here, Jack. Let's just quickly. Right. What, what do you think, like, how much is he hampered by being the third guy in Brooklyn behind Kyrie and KD compared to if, let's say, they traded him to Washington and he was the one or two option? Like, is that going to hold him back from being the player that he possibly could be? Or is that third option on a championship team just as good as being, you know, the first or second option on maybe a fringe playoff team, if that? He's not going to put up the numbers and he's not going to utilize probably some of his primary skills where he has the ball in his hands. You know, he's not a floor general. He's, you know, he, he has moments where he plays that sort of point guard, faux point guard role. But I, I think in, rather than sort of talking about point guards or whatever, you, you have ball handlers yep. and guys that, that run the floor, floor generals. That's one of Kairos' best skills. You know, when he has the ball in his hands, he's allowed to create his own shot. You know, he's, he's herky-jerky, uh, foot play, um, his ability to find guys in the pick and roll. And is he going to have the high-level capabilities and the high-level opportunities to do that as a number three guy? Maybe if the minutes are staggered in, in the correct way with the, with a good coach. And I think he would be able to do that. But in terms of an individual career trajectory, in terms of fulfilling, you know, getting stats and maybe getting all-star games or whatever, I think he would reach a higher ceiling individually on a Washington Wizards and New Orleans Pelicans, just thinking of teams off the top of my head, on Orlando Magic, on one of those teams, because it would allow him to flourish individually as a player. Would he reach a defensive ceiling, maybe within the Brooklyn Nets system? Possibly. Maybe he would be forced to hone his skills in the offseason and work as a defensive stopper. So I, I think for me, those two paths that I think about now, I think Carol Savert individually will flourish outside of the Brooklyn Nets system. Within the Brooklyn Nets system, I think we've sort of seen it already in bits and pieces this season. We've had a sample size of Spencer, Karras, and Kyrie together. And I think the person that has struggled the most within that system has probably been Karras. So maybe Kevin Durant as a wing player provides a bit more balance. Does Spencer Dinwiddie still stick around? I have no idea. But thinking of those three individually and Karras individually... I think within this Brooklyn Nets system, we might not see the best of Karras, or we might have already seen the best of Karras in a Brooklyn Nets uniform because you look at when he's been playing his best. You know, last year, you know, with, alongside D'Angelo Russell, he was the fulcrum of the Brooklyn Nets. This season, it's been alongside Spencer Dinwiddie, where they can be 1A, 1B next to each other. You know, the game, the great games he had alongside Kyrie Irving weren't really that amazing. He was putting up some okay numbers, but they weren't to the elite level of impact that we've seen without Kyrie Irving and without Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it, Jack. I think you look at it from if he stays on the nets, there's a chance he'll become a better all-around player because he'll be forced to work on his complete skill set, like you mentioned, defensively, and being more in that complementary role by still maintaining the skills he has. But if he were to go to another team and be one or two lead one or two lead guy in that team, his offensive skill set would probably take another step and just the volume there would allow him to have the stats that kind of back that up. Because I think at this point, I would not be surprised if Karras was on his own team, if he averaged, you know, 20 plus points, you know, yep. six rebounds, four assists, five assists, because that's kind of the numbers we've seen over him, seen from him over the last month. So it's just kind of like, what do you value and can he get that potential with the Nets? And also it's like, how much further can his other skills in terms of his complementary skills, a catch and shoot three point shooter, his uh, defense on and off ball. We're seeing glimpses of stuff. It's now it's like, 
what's the next step of his game if he has to play with Kyrie and KD? Yeah, I mean, we look at the sort of championship teams that have had those big threes. You know, the Cleveland Cavaliers, it was Kevin Love as that sort of third guy. It was Chris Bosh as that third guy in the game that we watched yesterday. Uh, it was Clay Thompson, Draymond Green in, in, in Golden State. And Karis LeVert, it doesn't have the ceiling of those guys. He's not as great as those guys. But individually, I think he would lead a team to a seventh or an eighth seed, like he sort of has with the Brooklyn Nets right now. If you put this Karis LeVert on a Washington Wizards team, on an Atlanta Hawks team, on a whatever team, sort of in, in a role that is similar, if not giving him greater opportunity elsewhere, we've sort of seen what it could be. We haven't necessarily, it's harder to project what he would be like, like you mentioned, Nick, as that sort of third guy on a championship level team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And, you know, we'll be delving deep into sort of the trade packages in future episodes. But looking at Karis individually, it's, it's really difficult to sort of think about it without a sort of sample size to sort of go towards. the sample Especially size with the- Kevin Durant not being there because we have the sample exactly. size with Kyrie and Spencer, even yeah. though it's still extremely small because Ky- Karis was missing games and Kyrie was healthy. But it's like adding a dynamic player like Kevin Durant alters the complete, you know, perception of your team in every way possible from offense to defense because he's just that type of player if healthy. I mean, in terms of when Kyrie and Karis were healthy, Nick, I know I had pretty high expectations. We talked about them being maybe one of the best backcourts in the league. In terms of, we talked about expectations for the team overall, but in the sample size that we did see, did it meet it, did it exceed it, or did they underperform in relation to that? I think early on we saw some really good games from the combination of both of them. And then Spencer, I think, started to catch fire after that like Portland game. And then Spencer and Kyrie had better chemistry. And then it was like Karis just had like his moments throughout the season. There just seemed to be a really like, I don't want to say bad feel. There just seemed to be like a lack of feel from all three of them for each other. And that's just something that's going to happen with lack of playing time. Like if you go on the court and play with someone that you never played with compared to if you're playing with someone you played with five years, you know, it's just going to be a different different feel because you just don't know their tendencies. And I guess we just have to hope that even though Kyrie was out, he was spending more time watching these players. Same thing with KD and having a better understanding of what they can do. Yeah, I mean, the last team that I can think of that had three of their best players as their guards was, you know, that, that Phoenix Suns team where it was Isaiah Thomas, Goran Dragic, and Eric Bledsoe. And, they know, all they ended up getting of... traded. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, maybe that's a precursor for the future here, but it, it's rare that you have. And, I mean, it's in, it's important in the Brooklyn Nets system, especially in Coach K's system, to have quality ball handlers. And, you know, times where we've been like, it's like, oh, man, why is Dia Pinson playing minutes? And, like, because you have an injury-prone, two injury-prone guys in Kyrie Irving and Karis Avert, that's why you have to see, you know, Chris Chioza, who's been good, and why you have to see Dio Pinson and Janan Musa play minutes at, at playing at, the, at a point guard sort of role. So, I mean, in the Nets system, well, at least Coach Kenny's system, Coach Kenny's net system, you need ball handlers aplenty, but maybe going forward, if there's a, at least, uh, there's a risk no matter what happens with this Brooklyn Nets team, but I'm confident and, and at least a little bit comfortable with the risk that we're taking because they're championship risks that we're going to be taking about trading guys or not trading guys. And the direction that we do take is something you're just going to have to get comfortable with. And the fact that we're in this, I would much rather be in this sort of risking for championship realm than sort of trading for Malik Monk and Terry Rogier. (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> I like that little shit at the Knicks. Um, <laughs> but uh, it just also like comes down to the fact, too, I think with like the skill sets we have from Spencer and Karras, like they're going to have to take a backseat if they're on this team. And a lot of that is just like some of the skills of, hey, you need to be less hesitant from the three-point line. If you have a catch-and-shoot opportunity, you need to take that because it just puts more pressure in the defense and then allows you to kind of attack the rim in a different way. I think it's just adjusting, too. And you know, Spencer and Karras have never played with anybody with the magnitude of KD. Like, they play with Kyrie, obviously he's going to draw a lot of attention, but KD is a different, you know, different level of player. And if he comes back, you know, 90%, 85% of the player we saw, things on the floor are just going to be different. Yeah, I think KD elevates elevates players around him just purely because of when you are a 1A top five level player, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Giannis, you know, it automatically elevates the players around you just purely because of how good they are, the the gravity that they draw and the, the looks that it opens for other guys and just sheer level through. It's just like you want to lift your game to be at a level where you're capable enough to sort of support the superstar uh, of the level of Kevin Durant. And I mean, we obviously have incredibly high hopes. We hope that, um, you know, that he's recovering and has recovered from COVID-19. There hasn't necessarily been anything that's come out about that. It's been like Donovan Mitchell, Christian Wood, yeah? Yeah, there hasn't been anything, but I believe Kevin Durant was one of the players not experiencing symptoms. So he was just kind of a carrier of which for this virus that we really don't know much about. But everything seems good, and I would think he's healthy if he's going to be playing 2K in the tournament. Obviously, it's at his house, so it's not like he's interacting with other people. But I would think if you're not feeling well, you wouldn't volunteer to uh, participate in an NBA 2K tournament. We do know how uh, competitive Kevin Durant, though, is. Oh, yeah. I've been. I was actually going to be analyzing this on a, a news pod or whatever, but you know there was rumors bubbling around that it's just like you know Nick Claxton is really the best gamer there. But you know you got to get the superstar guys. And I mean, as much as I love Nick Claxton, as much as you know, plenty of Nets guys, including Alec, love Nick Claxton. I want to see Kevin Durant on there because you know we could get some tidbits like from you know Kyrie Irving's Instagram live and all these other guys instagram lies where it's just like oh kevin Durant said this kevin Durant said that i want to hear that you know how much can you really get out of it a nick claxton it's just like yeah i've been working on my game blah 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 blah. and he's probably gonna be shy like he's gonna be shy as hell and i mean he's a pretty dude and i mean the nets have an incredibly pretty and good looking team and nick claxton is probably near the top of that list but give me kevin Durant talking a bit of smack you know we and it, it feels like we haven't necessarily physically heard from Kevin Durant you know he doesn't speak to media outlets and stuff he's sort of spoken in in terms of what he's talked about to guys you know under the radar and stuff so if he's got that mic on and we get to hear a few little things it'll be just nice to hear Kevin Durant's voice yeah and just to even talk about the Nets for a little bit like even the small portions we've heard it's been great to just hear him talk about the team I'm kind of intrigued to watch him play 2K and see how he envisions the game like from a different percep uh, percep <laughs> perception because like obviously 2K is not the real NBA but there's still a style of play you're going to have that is kind of connected to your belief in basketball if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean LeBron the his preparation for the season with like Anthony Davis and stuff he was playing 2K. And that's how he was trying to find out the guy's tendencies and like, you know, in the pick and roll with, with Kuzma and stuff, you know, how he was setting up the game. He was getting to know guys through through a video game. And I mean, it does help. I'm going to have to make sure that my 2K is updated and get my PSN account all updated so I can make sure I get up to date with all that, stay up late and make sure I'm watching those games without Kevin Durant's playing. I don't care whoever, like Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, whatever. But like, give me Kevin Durant <laughs> every day of the week. The dude can fly. I mean, I'll give him that. But, uh, you know, who cares? 
I think uh, Alexis Morgan, I believe, is her name. The girl who, uh, the woman who hosts the 2K like show on the game. She picked yeah. KD to go to the finals. I think against either Pat Bev or somebody else, and when in the other side of the bracket. But KD was that. her pick to go to the finals. I like it. Give me that. So, but Jack, anything else you want to touch on about this season? Expectations along those lines? Like you mentioned, we're going to be dropping other pods. We're going to probably be doing our player reviews. We're going to hit you with some news pods. We're going to try to do some Nets rewatchables. So it should be a really fun stuff. But any other topics you want to jump on before we get out of here? Shout out to some of the the lesser known guys that we didn't necessarily give major shout outs to. You know, Chris Chioza in terms of the minutes that he was playing. I think that's some of the splashy moments and crazy moments of the season. You know, he's had probably one of the net highlights of the season with his handle. That sort of highlight um, in that game. I can't remember who it was against, but it was an absolute. He was hot feel- in the Laker game. He was just as yeah. Like- he was coming out with highlights. I mean, RJ was going nuts. He was like, yeah, this kid's meant for the lights. And yeah. like talking him up. Uh, I, I would have to say the Nick Claxton hype too. Like we, there was a portion of the season where Claxton had that super hype and everyone was flipping because Kenny wasn't playing him. We only sh- saw him in that small sample size, but he was really fun. And we kind of talked about it on the last show. Like he's a lot more NBA ready than I anticipated. And like seeing that skill set, it gives you some excitement moving forward, knowing that there's a young player that can continue to get better with this possible championship roster. Yeah, true. You're not wrong. And obviously, you know, both of those guys could have a role in this team. You know, shout out to Wilson Chandler, Wilson Chandler for his just consistency and stability within this team. And, you know, he, he might not be Batman as um, him and, and Spencer were debating on Twitter, but he's certainly a very capable Robin slash Alfred. Everyone loves to be an Alfred. You know, Garrett <laughs> Temple in terms of hopefully he gets that law degree and, you know, his intelligence on and off the floor and, and stability that it provides there. You know, I think that with the moments that we haven't spoken about, some of the more disappointing parts, you know, Rodion's court, it's not really being able to elevate his game. Jada Musa not being able to elevate his game despite extra opportunities. Thea Pinsonall, obviously, is always uh, worth a, a nice little chuckle and a meme here and there <laughs> with, with some of his celebrations. And, you know, he's had some minimal moments in terms of his basketball stuff. And Jared Allen not reaching those expectations in terms of underperforming as well has been somewhat disappointing. But in terms of individual games that he's played, he's certainly maybe exceeded them. You know, he's had a couple of 2020 games here and there. So, I mean, we could we'll probably get a bit more in-depth with player reviews, I reckon, uh, in the future rather than just the team. Yeah, 100%. I like diving into the players, kind of giving them a breakdown. Jack, as you brought that up, it just made me have pop one more question in. Do you think Rodion's, Musa, and Theo Pinson are three of the most likely players that are not going to be on next year's roster? Yeah, not, I mean, it, not due to a, maybe not even due to a trade, just being like cut or let go or in a trade where the Nets get a second round pick because they just want roster space to add vets that are friends of KD or Kyrie. Yeah, you need Jared Dudley types, you need Aman Shumpert types, you need whoever it is that's just going to make those guys happy. And maybe you need veterans. You yep. need veterans over unproven rookies. And unless Rodion Skouritz comes back and we see 20 games of him that he showed from us last year, and unless KD is a big fan of his or Kyrie is a big fan of his, out of those three, you know, Rodion's for me is the one that I would want to keep the most. Obviously, you know, his court case was also... Um, the, 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 I think the data was pushed back due to everything that's been crazy that's been happening in New York lately with COVID-19. You know, Musa has had his moments, Musa moments, whatever you want to call them, both good and bad. Theo could be there as a, as a locker room sort of guy. I think that maybe I'm underrating that sort of stability and chemistry that he provides. And, you know, for a guy that you're paying sort of just a million dollars to, maybe that's why he stays. But I would be surprised if we see all three of them uh, on the Brooklyn Nets in 2021. 
Yeah, I think two out of three are definitely gone. I think, I mean, my personal, we'll talk about it more in the player review. I think I'm good on Musa. Like, I'm not sure if he's going to be ready to be the type of player the Nets need, you know, during this championship run. At least, like, Rodion's has already shown some of that complimentary stuff last year. Musa hasn't really showed that. And then Theo Pinson, like you mentioned, it's not really about what he brings on the court. It's more of off-the-court stuff. And you have to give him a lot of credit for bringing that type of energy consistently through 60-plus games. Like, that's not easy to do. Yeah, I respect it. And, you know, for a guy that's maybe 14th or 15th man on the roster and there's some injuries to some guys, he can play some minutes. And, and under a the, the good thing is under maybe a veteran coach like D'Antonio Popovich, he wouldn't play them at all, unlike, you know, Coach Kenny, who in the past has just been a bit more egalitarian with his minutes and such. But um, it's unlikely, you know, like you mentioned, two of those three are probably gone, if not all three. 100%. I think the one thing helping Rodion's is it would probably have to be a trade because I believe he has two more years guaranteed on his contract. But yeah. that that wraps it up, Jack. Always a great show. Big thanks to everybody for listening. Like we touched on, we're going to be dropping shows left and right, keeping that Nets content coming. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.